You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Why? No, because Jesus is born. Come on. Oh, gosh. You guys fell for that one. Hey, um, before we get to the Word of God today, which we're going to dive into, just want to commend your church. Like, our, that's our lead pastor, Ryan, if you don't know. And he was encouraging us. And I want you to know God is rising up. Like, amazing things are happening. The giving that has been happening over the last few weeks as we talked about that, I believe with my heart that God is going to raise that shortfall. And, and that has an effect here at our church, but it also has an effect throughout the city and throughout uh, all the world where we are connected with partners and they're doing amazing things. So it's so great to be part of a church where generosity is, is a core value. And I just want to commend you on that. Okay, so... Let there be light. That's a little mini sermon series we've got. Nate did an unbelievably great job last week introing into John 1. And next week, well, it's really like six days from now, Ryan's going to bring it home, our Christmas Eve service. Be thinking about who you're going to invite along to that and invite along into your home on that day as well. We'll talk about that throughout the, the service. I'm kind of the, the cheese in the middle, uh, if they're the bread in the, in the sandwich. Um, and, uh, and today... I've called the sermon, No Naughty List. No Naughty List. Do you guys get it? <laughs> because we can think that we're on the wrong side. We can think that, you know, God's up there and he's making a list and he's checking it twice. Oh, there they are. I just want you to know, lest we do it ourselves, lest we decide that ourselves, the prerogative is, is with us. Because of the work of Christ, we don't need to be on the naughty list anymore. We are actually called to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's where we're going to go today. So if you want to grab open your, your Bibles, uh, we're going to get in. It's in, in John chapter 1, just a few verses here. And wow, my Bible, one of the kids must have left it in the dryer because it's shrinking. So I've got to wear these, you know, glasses here. And oh my gosh, it's getting, getting smaller each day. All right. Okay, here we are, John chapter 1, we'll begin in, in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. God, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would quicken it to our hearts today. Father, I ask that you would wipe me off uh, of the, the map and you would... Uh, firmly position yourself at the center of our, of our thinking for this next little, little while. We want to focus on you. We want to hear from you. Nothing less. So be at work here by the power of your spirit. We love you and we praise you. and Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now sometimes in, in some churches you can come along and there can be kind of a an explicit or even an implicit message that you didn't quite measure up. You didn't quite make it to the expectations that God or, more often enough, others 
have put upon you. And we try and reduce that to vanishing point in North Coast Calvary, but I'm sorry if that's ever been your experience here. And I want to share a few weeks ago, I think it was a, maybe the second to last time that, um, that I was sharing. Um, I actually, if you'll remember, we were talking about evil and there was extraordinary evil and then ordinary evil. And I was talking about, you know, this, this thing and the, the passage and then just ordinary evil. And, and now here's the trouble that that, uh, that week or a week and a half before I'd broken three of my ribs. Okay. And you guys didn't know that, but you wouldn't, who cares? But, but it's, it's fine except when you go off the pain meds, because they can't do anything when you've got broken ribs. It's just like, take a teaspoon of cement in your coffee and toughen up. Like, what do you do, right? But, but here's the trouble, that, that when I breathe in the last 10% of my lungs, because I went off the pain meds, because they made me woozy, more woozy than normal, I went off the pain meds to speak, but the last 10%, as I'd breathe, like my eyeballs would bug out of my, my head, right? So here's, you know where this is going, so I'm like, oh, evil, and then I'm, I come over here and I was talking about ordinary evil, you know, like garden variety evil, like lust and greed, and, and I looked and there was a guy somewhere down here, and it may be one of you guys, and I'm sorry if it was one of you guys, and I said, you know, like greed, and I went like this, and, I, and my eyeballs bugged out, and this guy looked at me, looking at him, looking at me, and there was this horrible moment, and I thought, oh my gosh, I just want to stop and go down and hug the guy, and say, no, I wasn't calling you out, right? <laughs> So if that was one of you, come and see me later and I'll apologize to you in person. But my, my point is that, that intended or unintended, we can have this notion that somehow we're trying to reach up to this mark and somehow that we're trying to make ourselves right with God and, and then I'll get off the naughty list. I need you to know if you're trying to do it that way, it's too late. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even if you lived a perfect life and then did one thing wrong, that's enough. God is perfect. Okay, So if you want to do that, it's, it's too late. But I, I want you to know that uh, we need to battle that. And we need to battle that when we come to a passage like this. As it begins, it says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And, and where it says true light, it, it means like made of truth, truth that is made of truth, the life light, Eugene Peterson calls it. And Nate did an extraordinarily great job, I think, last week introducing this, um, the, uh, the book of John. And it's, if you don't know and you're new to the whole church thing, it's, it's one of the four accounts that we have of Jesus' life. But I want to talk about the context of it for a second, because I believe it's instructive in what we're about to study next. Because remember, when we come to the Word of God, you don't just treat it like a cudgel that you give people blunt force trauma with, though sometimes we do, and we shouldn't, but we do. But it's a beautiful scalpel. And remember, we ascertain the meaning, and then we ascertain the application. We've talked about this before, but remember when we ascertain meaning, we look at the text, we look at the context, we look at the whole text. What, is the, what do the words say? What is the, what is the context of it? The the socio-cultural context, the historical context, the literary context of it. Lastly, what does the whole Bible say on this subject? Meaning. Then application, we apply it to them, to those who heard it. Almost all of what we have in the Bible was heard. It wasn't read first, you know, a few hundred times. Those who heard it first, in this case, the first century people of God, the, the early church, we apply it to them and then with meaning, we, we understand it through that prism, and then we apply it to all of us, not just me, 
I know we live in the I world, the I generation of everything, me.com and at I'mawesome.com or whatever. But, and then lastly, apply it to me. If you skip the middle things, you miss it out. So anyway, so there's some context going on here. So John was a disciple who Jesus loved, and John loves to remind us of that. And he was hanging out with Jesus, and, and he was one of the disciples. But this now is many, many, many years later. This is the, the last written of the Gospels, of the biographies about Jesus. And in fact, it's very distinct. It's very different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are accounts of the life of Christ. As one theologian said, John is actually more of an argument for the incarnation. 90% of it are different to the other Gospels. And that's not that it's wrong. It's just that it, it's a, the same story told for a different purpose. Here it's told for the people of God who are facing significant persecution written about AD 85 AD 90 or so the first persecution under Nero has happened from AD 67 onwards and now they're under the the persecution of Domitian who's just a nasty Roman emperor the church they had been you know um, uh, Nero had started he'd started sewing up Christians in animal skins and throwing them to wild dogs they'd been you know in the circus not like clowns but like you know arena They'd been killing Christians. So this had been happening, and, and here we are, this, this Christian church. By now, there's a lot of Gentiles involved, and John, the disciple who Jesus loved, he's now an old, old man. He's the sage, and in fact, he's the only one left. All the other apostles, the disciples of Jesus, have been martyred. He's the last guy. And it has what you call a very high Christology, a very high transcendent view of Christ. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and he is in human form. And some of us like have less trouble thinking about him as human, some less trouble thinking about him as divine, but all of us, if we're honest, our heads pop when we think of him as being both. Here, the true light, and this is often an image throughout uh, John's Letters and, and, uh, and what he wrote to the early church in, in 1 John chapter 1, it's one of the letters that he wrote. He said, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If any of us claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We're not living by the truth. He is light. He lives in unapproachable light. And we are his people. But here's the most amazing thing, friends. This is the, the amazing miracle of the gospel, the first one, the amazing miracle, actually, of Christmas. It's not that some, you know, rotund fellow is flying around in the, in the clouds, dropping presents. It's that God himself became flesh, the true light, the life light, the, the one made of truth, the, the light made of truth that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Friends, can I have up on uh, screen the, it's like a kid's Bible. I was reading this out to my kids this week. That's the kind of font size that I need nowadays. There we go. So, <clears throat> here we go. I, I thought this was really cool, and it gives an image of the might, but also the way that Jesus came in. He's here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas 
would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking in the darkness, he came. The light comes into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the true miracle. This is the miracle of the incarnation. And I want to park on this because it's key to getting us to understand our sonship and our daughtership of God. It's key to the whole thing. You notice here that he says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. To everyone. To those who follow him and to those who don't yet follow him, may not ever follow him. Surely we are called to be people of light in Philippians 2. It says that, that we are the people of light and we're to aim to be without fault in a crooked and depraved and broken generation in which we, wait for it, shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the words of light. We're to be shiny. A buddy of mine, he's here in the audience, he said, you know, and he's really only in the last year and a bit come to the Lord. He said, you can, you can tell when someone really loves Jesus, not when they're just playing about it and it's all churchianity, but like they actually factually love Jesus because they're kind of shiny. And I think that's true. And I've got a totally hokey image uh, for us to remember that by. Can I have up on stage the, uh, the thing of the, the disco ball? And in fact, I've got a disco ball here, right? And uh, apologies if you think this is profane to do in church. We'll see. If I'm smited by the almighty smiter, then I got it wrong. Okay, but I have here the disco ball. Can I have the lights down? I want to see an experiment to see if this works. Oh my, well, okay, slightly underwhelming. I can't even... You guys, come on. Amazon, isn't Amazon like... Kids everywhere understand this. The day after Christmas, they're like, that wasn't even half as good as I'd thought about it would have been anyway. But you get the, okay, lots on. That, that was the end of that. That's no good at all. But, but you get the image, right? It'll stick in our mind. You, you understand what it is, that, that the analogy, Jesus being the light, the pure light, and we're the little mirror bits, Right? And some of you guys are big, awesome mirror bits that are postured towards the light and you're shining it brightly. Others of us are little fragment bits that only occasionally do it and, and whatever. But we, we don't create the light. We reflect the light. The people of God. But you notice it says everyone coming to give light to everyone. And here I want to take a 60 seconds, 90 seconds, and just dork out theologically because I want to talk about grace, specifically this thing called common grace. Friends, could I have up on screen the thing? Oh, look at that, boom, even before I ask. It's like they're hearing the prayers of God, the answers before you. So, so if, if you're new to the concept, the worldview of, of following Jesus, there's this thing which is central to it, which is grace. And a good acronym way to remember it is God's riches at Christ's expense, Right? God's unmerited favor. He gives us love and kindness. And he doesn't just not give us what we do deserve. That's called mercy. He also does give us what we don't deserve. That's called grace. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff around it. And a lot of people talk about saving grace, that which enables us to be saved. And, and at that point, there's different parts of the tree, limbs of the tree, of the, if the tree is global Christianity, that, you know, some people talk, uh, Wesleyans talk about provenient grace, that God gives us a capacity 
to understand and choose him or not choose him. Or the Arminians talk about sufficient grace, pretty, pretty similar. There's, there's the Reformed guys who talk about irresistible grace, and the Calvinists who talk about special grace, that it's the grace that God gives you that he draws you to him, kind of like the, uh, you know, the Millennium Falcon being drawn into the thing and you can't withstand it. And, and there's just differences about that. Uh, there are significant differences. And, and I encourage you to follow up with someone over a coffee, not me, about the differences, okay? What I want to talk on is something that more or less everybody agrees on. It's called common grace. That God's kindness has been shown to every man, woman, and child on planet Earth, and every beast even. Common grace is God's kindness shown to all humankind. And he restrains evil, kind of like, there's, we're kind of like the person who lives underneath the dam. God holds back evil from being as evil as it could be. And we don't know why and we don't know when, but things could be a lot worse in his withholding evil. He's holding it back. And as he delays judgment. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance, says in Second Peter. Creation order. There's an order to the way things operate. There's an order to our bodies. Like we breathe. Have you ever thought about that? Someone, hang on, someone over here just breathed. You got it. Hang on. Someone over there. We often don't think about it, but our bodies work and they're breathing and, and our bodily systems, but also to the... You know, the amazing, extraordinary stars that proclaim the glory of God and, and earthly blessings that we have. You know, the, the sun shines on the evil and on the good and the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, the, the passages about these human gifts, the amazing things that, that God gives us. And some people know how to kick a soccer ball super well. And I know that some of you watched the game and some of you didn't watch the game. I'm not going to tell you who won. It was an amazing game of football just now. The World Cup, soccer, if you, you know, football, soccer, that's what they call it elsewhere. But something like, what about medical science? I don't know, what about indoor plumbing? I mean, there's all this stuff that humans can do. Social systems, Romans 13, 1 through 6. God puts in place the government, so you might not like them. Take it up with God. He's the one who put them there, and they're imperfect. Yes, I get it. Education systems. He preserves and guides. It says in Psalms 36 that that God preserves both man and beast, both human and animals. He preserves them. In Psalm 67, it says he guides the nations of the earth. He is the one who's in control. He doesn't relinquish control. And last one, transcendent yearning. That God, it says in Ecclesiastes, has put eternity in the human heart. Even if we can't understand everything he's done from beginning to end, he's the one who puts that in there, and, and every man, woman, and child, if you sit with them long enough and talk with them long enough, they're like, yeah, it feels like there's something more. There's certainly something bigger than me, even if they're staunch atheists. There's something outside, and, and there's a yearning, right? So there's all the, of this stuff going on that God gives his light, certainly to us, certainly to the followers of him, and we're going to come back to us and, in big time. That's where we're going to be landing. But he, he gives light to everyone, and He's coming into the world and he says he was, the next verse 10, he was in the world. In the world. This is a term and I, sorry for talking about the sneaky Greeky, but there's, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written, this part of it, in a form of Greek called Koine Greek, right? And, and the, the word that we translate as world is, is actually the term cosmos. And depending on the context, it can mean different things. 
So it can mean world as we know it, like globe or whatever we'd call it. it. It can also mean a system of order. It can also mean the furthest reaches of the universe. It can also mean sometimes a, um, a negative connotation of, of systems that are set up to subjugate and oppress people. And John uses it flexibly. Of all the writers, 103 times I think he uses the term cosmos, contradistinct to, to Paul who uses it only 47 times even though he wrote many more words. But John uses this term a lot. We need to work out what it means. Can I have up on screen, it's like, an, it's like a big blob. I don't know how to, there we go, right. See, this is a picture by NASA. It looks fake, but apparently, if NASA's real, they may in fact be some guys in Houston sitting in a back room. But if they are real, this is a, this is a picture of a far distant galaxy. Galaxy far, far away. What is it, you know, a long, long ago. And, and um, to be specific, it's 27 zillion miles across. And to be more specific, it's 46 bazillion miles away from us. They're made up numbers. But to be honest, those numbers are all just so gigantic. I'm like, is that even a real number? The point is the vastness. The vastness of things. Jesus is the one who entered into creation. He is the uncreated creator. Who how many years ago? Go and discuss it. How did he do it? I don't know, but he created it. He spoke these things into being. He is the mighty one. He is the transcendent one. He is the astonishing one. He's also the one who came. What did he do? It says here, he came into the world. It says, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. And it says, the next verse, 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. His own didn't receive him. So that's talking about the Jewish people, or more specifically, actually, the Judeans in Jerusalem. In fact, more specifically, the religious Judeans in Jerusalem, because, of course, many Jews did receive him. By the way, happy Hanukkah. That's over the next, you know, 24 hours. We light the candles. Jesus being light to the world, it's all connected. No, that's a whole other sermon. But, but he is the one who brings this light. He is the one who came into the world. He is the light of the world. And he is the one who is magnificent. And like, the, like I said, the Pacific Ocean put into a shot glass. The infinite became finite. Why is this important? Well, it's important because some welcome him and some reject him. What's the foyer of our heart like? What's the welcome mat like on our table or on our, the front of our door? You know, are we welcoming him in or are we a little bit, you know, karate chop? Um, there's, there's reasons why we mayn't receive him. I want to um, talk here for a second. And, and if this doesn't apply to you, well, awesome, I'm glad. But some of us, it does apply to us. So there might be physical reasons or historical reasons why we want to resist him. There might be psycho-spiritual uh, psycho ones. There might be ethical ones. So for some of the folks, for the, what are the Jews, they, they're like, this is not the Messiah that we ordered. Amazon, you've sold us a dud. This is, not, this is not what we wanted. 
This is not the one who was going to come and boot out the Romans. This is not the one who was going to come and be the one who accorded with our pharisaical interpretation of the law. He didn't even look like a Messiah. The only description we have biblically of what Jesus looked like from Isaiah 53, it says that he was actually not much to look at. He wasn't some handsome movie star type. I think he would have been very magnetic. But he also didn't accord with their expectations physically or, or personality-wise. But also psycho-spiritually, I think we can be darkened. We cannot receive him because we actually really, you know, our, our, our hearts are darkened at, at times. I think ethically, honestly. I've talked with someone recently. They're like, I know about Jesus. I know Jesus. I just don't want to follow him. And their reasoning was because of the ethical implications. At least they were honest. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Hands up if you're going great with that one. None of us. Well, we've got a dude here. Excellent, buddy. You're my hero. You are. That's great. I find that a struggle. What about be someone who walks in forgiveness, overflowing with forgiveness, you're just oozing out of every pore of your skin oh gosh pouring yourself out with love and kindness for the world around you people of light i'll say this you know if you go and see some of our missions partners around the world you can be in the most extraordinarily dark places and it's the people of god who are shining brightly there the light comes into the darkness the darkness doesn't overcome it those who are shiny as my friend said really following Jesus. They're shiny in the most crazy of places. And I had an atheist buddy of mine, we're talking away, and he's like, oh, you know, anyone can go and serve. And I'm like, they can. They just don't. I know, because I've been there. There's some, but mostly, I mean, why would you? Why would you go and live in a tough, tough place where you're beat down? And, and the good news for them is that he who is in them is greater than he who's in the world and they'll prevail and Jesus' victory comes about. But so, some don't receive him, some don't recognise him and this motif of, of rejection and reception is one of the, the common themes throughout the book of John, so much so that, that some Jewish commentators have said it is both at the same time the most Jewish and the most anti-Jewish of all of the Gospels. Receive, reject, receive, reject, receive, reject. Some here don't, some here do. But here's where I want to come in. Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who did receive him, and it goes on and it talks about what it means to be born of God. And Eugene Peterson says, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not blood begotten. They're not family begotten. They're not sex begotten. They are God begotten. The imagery is actually one of um, adoption, which is a pretty frequent biblical image. But think about it. We become heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, you're pretty amazing. You may deserve that. This old guy here, oh my gosh. To be an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ, you know what that makes him? It makes him our brother. It makes Jesus our older brother. 
If your mind isn't popping at that concept, oh my gosh, we need to rethink it. But here, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, those whose hearts were open, those who, whose reception hall was open, what is it? What do you want to teach me? I open my heart that you might come in. I don't understand everything about you, but I'm, I'm willing to give you a crack. Come on in, and it says to those who believed in his name, a, a theologian called Andreas Kostenberger said that, that where it says name there, it's not like an identifier of a person as much as it's a description about their inherent nature. So it's really talking about all that Jesus is and all that he's done in one moment. And, and biblically, that's often the case. You know someone's name. It's not just something, oh, Frank, come here, I want you to, you know, whatever. It's, it's to, know, to know them. There's a, an experiential element to it, an intimacy to it. Jesus Christ, many of you guys know this. Jesus comes from the term Yeshua. Yahweh saves. The Lord saves from the Hebrew and the Christ from the, from the Greek, Christos being anointed one. So he's the one who's set aside. He's anointed for a purpose to do what? To save us. He is God himself. God who became flesh and he's the one who saves us. And he's not distant. Can I have up? on the screen guys the thing of um, okay now I know there's one guy here who knows where this is from Paolo Rio de Janeiro Cristo Redentor okay and it is amazing it's, it's beautiful it's astonishing but we can have this image of Jesus so mighty and amazing and lifted up and transcendent and wonderful and he is all those things he, he really is can I have the next slide but he's also attached here to the cosmos, to creation. He is the God who entered in. He's attached. He's grounded. Can I have the next slide? He's also, there he is. You see it getting smaller and smaller. And that's over Rio. And Rio is one of my favorite cities on planet Earth. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's so full of life and wonder. It's an amazing city. And also, am I wrong, friend? There's also some tough things in Rio. There's some tough parts of it, some favelas or, or slums where there is great hardship. And, you know, if I could, I can't, but if I was clever enough, I'd had the image of Jesus not just being up there, but him coming down and being involved in the lives of people. He's a God transcendent. He's also a God who is involved intimately with all that's going on. Are our hearts ready to receive this? Because there's things that stop us the last one I want to mention is pretty common because we think that we're on the naughty list. We think somehow God's turned away from us because of what we've done. Can I have the image up, friends? It's like an etching. Um, here we go. It's an old Puritan etching. You can tell because they kind of look puritanical, um, some of them. Even the hat. I mean, look at the hat. Come on. And... Uh, there's this, there's this story that we call the prodigal son. I've told it before and likely will tell it again. There was one time I was telling this to a, a Japanese mate of mine. I met him surfing and he ended up coming and living with us for about a year or so. 
And this guy, he was scandalized by this story. He's like, this is wrong. And, and it's the story, as you know, it's in Luke 15, about a father with two sons. And his younger son comes to him and says, hey, dad, give me the inheritance now. I know you're not dead, but I want it now. And his father, for some reason, gives it to him. And he goes off to a distant land where he squanders it in carousing and, and you know, all sorts of stupid stuff. And, and, of course, the money goes through his hand like sand at a, on a hot day at the beach till his money runs out. And, of course, his friends run out. And he's left and he's feeding pigs. You guys know the story. And as he's feeding the pigs, he's so hungry, he thinks, I want to eat this pig food. Then he thinks, what am I doing? Even the servants in my father's house are treated better than I am. I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask, would you just even take me back as a servant? And as he's walking back the miles, I don't know how long from this distant land, he's rehearsing the speech in his head Oh, look, I'm not worthy to be called by your name. I sinned against heaven and against you. And I, could you just take me back as a servant? And, and, it, and it says, Jesus is telling this story. It says that the, the father sees him from far off, I imagine, because he's, he's looking. The father sees him and, and runs out to him and embraces him. He says, get a robe, put it on my son. My robe of righteousness. Get get. Shoes for his feet. He's not a servant. He's a son. Get a, a ring for his finger, a sign of authority. Not everyone's stoked. The older brother, you see him out there. That's me. That's none of you guys. That's me. Grumpy. Oh, how can God have mercy on that person? I mean, they don't even, you know, fill in the blank. I mean, but I do and, and whatever. None of you guys do that. But I don't want to talk about him. I want to talk about but. Father welcomes him home. And my, my Japanese mate, Suyoshi, as I was telling him this story, he's like, this is wrong. Like the, he brought shame on that house. How could, how could the father have done this and this is not right and, and all? And until about half an hour later, with tears streaming down my mate's face, he says, oh, I'm actually that son. I've brought shame on my, my house. I'm the one who should be rejected. But I've got, a, I've got a question for you as we think about it. To be children of God, they're, remember they're not blood begotten, they're not sex begotten, they're not family begotten, they're God begotten, children of God. At what point? Was the prodigal son not the son of his father? Was it when he, was it when he took the money? Was it when he went and, and wasted the money? Was it when his friends ran out when he's feeding the pigs? Not a great job for a Jewish guy. Like when he's, when he's doing all this stuff, was it as he was walking the long way home? At what point? Of course, the answer is at no point. At no point was he not a beloved son. At no point. He wasn't acting with a spirit of sonship. He was acting with an orphan spirit. He was always a son. Always a son. And here we are, we're in a church, and it seems odd to say it, but I think some of us can operate with an orphan spirit. We can think the things that we've done, 
had put us outside of God's grace, you are not outside of God's grace. You, we have this concept of God being a little, you know, he's kind, sort of kind and he's kind of ethereal and up there, but he's kind of looking down and, ah, oh, doing that, are we now? Let me just check on the list. I'm checking it twice. Is he on the naughty list? We can think of that. No, you're a beloved son, you're a beloved daughter. Would that we might act like it. I want to invite out the musicians and we're going to end here. We're going to have a time of, of singing and, and, uh, and prayer and, and all. And in fact, tell you what, let's jump up to our feet because we've been sitting for quite a while. And, um, and as we do that, in fact, can I have the ushers? They're going to hand out these little things. And they're the, you've seen them at Halloween. They're those little, those little plastic things. You snap them and you know they become a light. And in fact, can I have the lights in the... Um, in the ord uh, down a bit so we can see them. And this is totally hokey and it's totally cheesy and I apologise, but don't worry, you'll get over it. Um, I want you to, to, to think of this and to think about the symbology of what we're doing. That, and maybe, maybe uh, this is something which you've just agreed in your heart with over years and years and, and you're again agreeing with it today or maybe today this is the first time you say, I, I want to be a beloved son, I want to be a beloved daughter. And God is calling you home. And this is the moment you can get that, and you can snap it, symbolic of snapping our own will. So guys, hand them out, and they're all going, there you go, and you're getting one, and you can snap it now, and you can give it to a kid later on, or do what you like, put it on the dash of your car. But I want it to be a thing where we remember this, where we sing this song together. These guys are going to lead us. And, and as I do it, as we go into that, I want to prepare our hearts by sharing a story of a mate of mine. And it's a mate who, who grew up on the street, or when he was about 14, 13, 14 years old, he left his house. He was beaten black and blue by his father and, and stepmother. And he, he lived on the streets. And he lived, you know, he'd sleep in those goodwill bins. You know, if, you, if you're small enough, you can climb in them and sleep in there out of the cold. And this mate of mine worked out, if you go to this church on that night, this one and that one and that one on different nights, you could get food because churches are good for that. And, um, and he was at the church that we were a part of and, um, and this couple, Jeff and Sue, they're a wonderful, wonderful couple. They're old, old couple now. They saw this guy and they befriended him and, and loved on him. And after a while they said, where are you sleeping, son? And, and he shared with him, tough, tough life on the street. Tough life. And they said to him after a while, they said, hey, buddy, why don't you think about if you want to come and live with us? And he's like, oh, yeah. And they said, but it's a, it's a big question. Take your time. Think, think about it. Take a week. Let's come back. And, and he went and prayed and he came back and after a week and, and they said, what do you think? And he's like, yeah. Let's, and they said, well, like, yeah, we think so too. But it's a big thing because they had a daughter who was about 12 months younger than him and a son who's 12 months older, he's banging in the middle. But think about that. That's a big thing. But here's what they said to him. They said, there's a condition. And my mate, he's now in his 40s. He's got four kids. He's principal of a school. When he tells his story, he still cries. Because he says, you know... They could have said anything, and I would have agreed. They could have said, you're going to live in the woodshed. Yep. 
You're going to do all the chores. Yep. He said, it's got to be better than living on the street. They said, here's the condition. If you come here and live with us and our family, you do not come and live as a boarder. You do not come and live even as a guest. You come and live with us as a son with the blessings and the responsibilities of that. Friends, do you know that you're a beloved son, that you're a beloved daughter? Do you know that? There's no naughty list now. May we this week be the shiny ones. May we, church, Jesus' community out in this little corner of the earth, God's good earth, all that he's doing, may we be the shiny ones. May we go from this place full of stoke, full of joy, thinking about who you're going to invite along to hear Ryan speak on Christmas Eve, who you're going to invite along into your home over Christmas. May you be blessed. May more than anything else, you remember that you're a beloved son, that you're a beloved daughter of the Lord Most High. There's no naughty list in him. He loves you. He's called you home. Be blessed. See you this week. Thank you.